0: Welcome to the Thriving on Purpose podcast, where we teach Christian entrepreneurs how to build a strong foundation of faith, growth, and skill to lead and thrive on purpose in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, certified coaches Elizabeth and Sebastian Richard.
1: Hi guys, we're so glad that you can join us on another episode of the Thriving on Purpose podcast. I'm Elizabeth Richard and I'm here with...
0: Sebastian.
1: And today we're going to talk about a really, really important topic. I think this um, mini-series is actually one of the most important podcast episodes that we've done for you Christian believers.
0: And we need you to brace for impact. It is a Bible teaching. Bible teaching.
1: Yeah. So get out your paper and pen. You're going to want to take a lot of notes. There's a lot of meat to this podcast. And the title of this podcast is God's Kingdom Purpose for Man, Our Earthly Dominion Mandate. Now, this might sound like a bit of Chinese to you, but you're going to understand as we explain, as we begin this podcast. So we believe that this will start an amazing journey for you guys. It's going to open your mind, open your eyes, it's going to strengthen your faith, it's also going to boost your confidence, it's going to sharpen your mindset and bring blessings to your life. And um, it's also going to enable you to to let go of false religious thinking and to start expecting miracles in your life. Uh, and that's and, uh, exactly what it did for us when we started this journey many many years back
0: yeah and and in recent uh, the recent year also we've uh, we've delved a lot deeper in kingdom theology and uh, what a tremendous amazing addition and blessing it's been to our lives and that so we're excited we're excited to share this biblical understanding with you guys because it has helped us so much we believe it's going to do the same for you
1: and it's it's also really important to understand our earthly dominion mandate because this is the missing link to what a lot of you are searching for to understand what is your purpose in God's kingdom, what is your purpose as a Christian here on Earth. Yeah. So by going through this, these teachings, you're really gonna have more of an understanding of God's kingdom and you know basically why we're on Earth. And you're going to learn so much more than, you know, the the fact that we're taught a lot about talking about the gospel and about, uh, you know, salvation, which is really important. But there's a lot more to it. So it's going to really open the door to a different understanding of all that. So yeah. let's begin.
0: Well, yeah. And, and it's, it's about, you know, in life, what I've learned is there's a lot of things we have to unlearn. There's a lot of things we have to learn, but there are also things we have to unlearn. So I think this uh, Kingdom teaching will do both. You're going to learn, but you're also going to unlearn some things that, that might have been faulty thinking or wrong thinking, or like Elizabeth said earlier, uh, false relig- religious thinking. Uh, there's a text on my wall. I have a, a walled frame, a plaque, in which I printed out a text that I have read many, many times in my own life. And the text contains a powerful prayer. I, w- I don't even know who to attribute the text too. I found it by luck maybe 12 years ago online. I'm going to read it to you because within the text there's a prayer that I believe is extremely powerful and transformative. So here's here's the text. Here's what it says. My journey out of deception began with a prayer, an innocuous prayer that hardly seemed life-changing in its scope. In fact, at the time, it hardly seemed much of anything at all. Dear Lord, I prayed, if I am believing any lies in my life or am deceived in any areas of my Christian life and what I believe, can you show me? I want your truth at all costs, even if knowing it destroys my entire world. Oh, and I mean it, Lord, even if part of me doesn't and is scared. That was the prayer The prayer that changed my world and set me free. In retrospect, it was a silly, childlike prayer, but God honored it. Like I said, I don't even know where it comes from. (laughs) I I don't know who the source is. But I'll tell you something, though. It takes guts to pray this prayer. I believe, however, that it is a necessary one for believers today. It was a very necessary one for me. Many of us have been ensnared by religious teachings and bound by dogma. And these teachings are keeping us not only in the dark, but enslaved and fruitless as a result. It's nothing new. Remember what Jesus told the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7, verses 6-9? to He told them, he said, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition.
1: The Bible also says in Job 36.12, But if they do not listen, they perish by the sword and die without knowledge. And in Hosea 4, 6, we read, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children.
0: God doesn't want any of us to be in ignorance. Just like Paul told the Athenians in Acts 17.30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. You know, when we're in ignorance, it's one thing to be in ignorance, but once you start advancing in knowledge, you need to repent of your ignorance. You need to embrace the advancement of your knowledge and that comes through also a repentance of being lazy or being closed-minded or or closed up to new information or not
1: seeking yeah or not seeking to know more uh digging deeper than what you hear on sundays at church you know a lot of people think that they've done their part because they go to church on sunday morning and do a quick devotional here and there but there's a lot more to it if you want Uh, you know, God to bless you in your business and your life, there's a lot more seeking than that's required of us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I believe that much of the plight of believers today comes from a misunderstanding not only of His Word, but also of how His kingdom operates, of who they are in it, and how they should operate in it. And this misunderstanding of God's truth God's plan and how they fit in it has led many in bondage. The types of bondage are very varied, emotional bondage, doctrinal or dogmatic bondage, falsehood bondage, religious bondage, even financial bondage. Yahushua, Jesus, came to set the captives free. And the truth His truth will set you free. We've we've read that many times in Scripture. The truth will set you free. The only problem is, oftentimes, we think that the truth is the doctrine of our particular denomination. And we think that it's that truth that will set us free. No, it's the truth of Jesus that's going to set you free. And some of it might be taught in your denomination, and some of it might not. Okay? And the main message Jesus came to teach was about a gospel. The gospel, which means good news. But not just any good news or any gospel. The gospel that Jesus came to teach was the gospel of the kingdom of God. The word kingdom, or the term kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, is mentioned well over 100 times in the New Testament. I didn't count every single one, But I've looked it up, and there's, you know, some say uh, numbers like 85, others say 100, others say 160. Let's just say over 100 times, okay? Especially in the synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Go ahead, I challenge you, go ahead and reread the Gospels, the synoptic ones of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you will realize that the kingdom of God was the main message of Jesus during His ministry and after His resurrection. You could even say that it was his, what Jesus was the most passionate about.
1: Yeah, and you know, the something important here is that uh, for years and years, you know, I've, I've been to Bible college, I've been to church since I was in diapers, and every time we talked about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, We're always talking from a perspective of it being once we die and cross over and go to heaven. So, you know, a lot of teachers out there are teaching it the way they understand it and and they understand it as it being something after we live on Earth. And so we're anticipating and anticipating for this afterlife. Yeah. And um, there's a lot more to it. There's a lot, a lot more to understanding how God's kingdom operates on this earth.
0: That's a very good point you bring. And uh, we often equate the term in, in the New Testament of kingdom of God with heaven. Uh, but the kingdom of God, the word kingdom means king and dominion. The king's dominion. So it's, it's, it's not the realm where God is. That is part of it. God's dominion, for example, England, they, they set forth the Commonwealth, right? Well, mm-hmm. they, they reigned from England. So the, the country and the queen, they reigned from England. But their kingdom extended far beyond the boundaries of England. Right. Okay.
1: So it's a bit like that. So from heaven to, to us on earth, there's a, a link through the, the the kingdom that we're going to learn in this teaching that is also on this earth linked to the kingdom in heaven. So one Bible teacher puts it this way, and I think that he explains it very well.
0: spot on, yeah.
1: The mission of Jesus was to establish God's kingdom on earth in the hearts of men.
0: Uh, That's very powerful because Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is within us. So that's something that sounds... uh, almost metaphysical or esoteric for some Christian yep. believers today because they so equate kingdom of God with a place outside of our realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you remind them of that, that Jesus actually said the kingdom of God was within us, what does that entail? We'll see that as we go during this series.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to just reread this quote for those of you that are taking notes because it's really important. Yeah,
0: jot that down.
1: The mission of Jesus was to establish God's kingdom on earth in the hearts of of men
0: hmm. and <clears throat> a lot of us think the mission of Jesus was solely to die at the cross his death at the cross made the transition possible for us it it opened up the doors of the, kin- the kingdom he became that door but that was not his main mission okay that was part of it definitely a big part but that was um, so it's all interlinked it's all uh, put together
1: in Luke 4 chapter 4 43, Jesus said to his disciples, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose.
0: Now, that's a powerful verse that we we forget about that. Like we, we you know, so many times, and I'm guilty of this as, as much as anyone, we read through the scriptures kind of mechanically and we don't fully grasp what they say. Do you realize that Jesus said that he was sent for this purpose, in other words, to preach the good news or the gospel of the kingdom of God. He didn't say the gospel of salvation, he said the gospel of the kingdom of God. Very interesting. And after his resurrection, so he died, he rose again, and after that we're told that he appeared for 40 days to his disciples. Well, in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, we read this. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Again, so his, his speech had remained centered on the kingdom of God. While he was ministering for the three years and after his death and resurrection, still the same talk that centered around the kingdom of God so since it was evidently so important to Jesus to teach about the kingdom of God one question remains and that question is why are we seldom taught about the kingdom of God in church that's a really good question don't you find I mean if it was so central to Jesus's life
1: why are we not taught
0: this so much you know just brushed over in church we don't spend our time talking about it because
1: they they are more focused on teaching different things that help people in their walk with god that are different topics that they can relate to um in their everyday life however when you understand what the the true kingdom of god is and that uh you know that we're living proof of it and that there's a link with us humans on earth, there's a part that we have to play in this, there's a purpose that we're intended to on earth, then all of this makes it become alive in our present, which is not what they understand. And this is why um, these teachings are crucial for you to grasp and take notes and re-listen to because it, it can be very confusing at first, or maybe a lot of content, a lot of meat you might have to go back, Uh, For us, it took us a while to grasp this. We've been studying this for years and years now. So um, I encourage you to do the same thing, but you're going to understand it differently and you're going to see that, oh, okay. When you reread the the Bible and you reread anything that has to do with kingdom, you understand it differently because you you know that he's not just talking about the kingdom of God in heaven in the afterlife. He's talking about it right now on earth.
0: Mm, Exactly. And it's going to be even more, a more powerful reality after. But it starts here. It starts here with great power. And that's what we're not taught. Uh, So why are we seldom taught about the kingdom and church? Well, we're not going to go into that today. But suffice it to say, suffice it to say, if the kingdom of God was Jesus's main teaching, shouldn't it be ours as well? I mean, if he was so obsessed with it, if it was so important to him, if he called it his purpose, <laughs> he said he was sent for this purpose, if he called it that, shouldn't we be at least very curious about it? <laughs> Just at the very least. So obviously, obviously it's a rhetorical question. We should be very looking very deeply into it, which is what we're doing today. So we cannot undermine the importance of teaching and learning the Kingdom of God and everything that pertains to it. It is very, very vital to every believer to understand these matters. Just to be clear, before we start digging deeper into this, I'm very, very happy to share what I do know today. But I'm still learning. I will learn until the day I die. Okay, I have been granted by God and I'm very thankful for that the gift of teaching and the gift of knowledge. And for me, these things were hard to grasp. They were. I mean, that because I had been indoctrinated in church with other types of understandings. And so for me, when I first heard these things, even though I had the gift, the gift of knowledge and the gift of teaching, uh, it was, I wouldn't say a 180 degree uh, turnaround, but a pretty big, uh, catalyst, or um, maybe not catalyst, in no, um, paradigm shift. Paradigm shift for me. So I, I hope you're gonna be patient with me. Uh, there, I might say things that will offend you. I might say things you will disagree with. I don't expect you to agree with everything I'm gonna say today or in uh, the other teachings that will follow this one. I really don't. It's okay. I mean, I, I don't think there's one pastor out there with whom I agree a hundred percent. That's okay. What I do want you to do, though, what you're going to hear today is to dig deeper, to climb higher. In other words, if there's something I say that you disagree with, go check it out for yourself. Don't just be like, ah, that's not what I was taught or because ah. we have a knee jerk reaction. Oftentimes when it's something we are not familiar with or if it's not the verse, the understanding of the verse, the way we've always understood it. Sometimes we can have a knee jerk reaction, which is uh, right away. ah. I I don't believe that so we we kind of uh, stiffen don't do that okay be willing to get this new information jot down what you want to look into because there will be things that will contradict what you believe jot it down and say I'll look into so-and-so later this week or later this month whatever make a point of it make it make a point of it okay make sure you get confirmation from God through his Holy Spirit on all matters not just what I teach but any other teaching that you hear out there okay so let's dig deeper let's start what does god's kingdom purpose for man our earthly dominion the title of this podcast what does this really mean so to understand god's kingdom purpose for man it is only fitting that we begin that we start this in genesis okay why? Well, I'll explain to you why. I have something I want to bring up here. And, and right away, this might actually ruffle your feathers, because I'm going to be quoting from a book that is a non-biblical book called Pseudepigrapha. Okay, Pseudepigrapha were books that, first of all, are not uh, believed to be written by the, the, the author. It says that they're written by. And second of all, they're books that have been deemed probably not old enough to be included in the Bible. So there are books that are outside of the scriptures that didn't make the cut, basically, okay? But there's a pseudepigraphal gospel of Thomas out there. It's an interesting read. I'm not telling you go read that as if it were scripture, but I'm telling you, if you want to read something interesting, go read that. It, it's, there's some interesting tidbits in there. So in the pseudepigraphal gospel of Thomas, the following is written in part 18, okay? The disciples said to Jesus, Tell us, how our end will be. Other translations that I've read said how the end will be. Jesus said, Have you discovered then the beginning, that you look for the end? For where the beginning is, there will the end be. Blessed is he who will take his place in the beginning. He will know the end and will not experience death. Now, obviously, this saying is quite cryptic, a bit complicated. But I find some interesting tidbits throughout. Obviously, the most interesting part is when he says to this, the disciples, have you discovered the beginning that you look for the end? In other words, do you understand the beginning so that you now want to understand the end? And another part that's interesting is um, uh, when Jesus says, um, for where the beginning is, there will the end be. Interesting because Jesus said in Matthew 24 that, as, uh, as in at the end will be, he says it's going to be as in the days of Noah. So again, he, back in, in Matthew 24, he referred the end will be similar to what happened before the flood. So we ha- kind of have a parallel um, thought here. You see, modern evangelicals, we give so much importance to the book of Revelation, to the book that speaks of the end. And yet, let's be honest our understanding of the beginning is so flawed and limited as believers we cannot possibly grasp the end until we fully understand the beginning and i'm not saying that once you fully understand genesis you will fully understand revelation but i think it's really really important to dig deeper in the beginning in order to set the tone for our understanding for the rest of the book or the collection of books because that's what Bible means. It's me, it means like a, a collection of books. Seventeen years ago, I'm gonna tell you a little story here that you might find interesting. I had become very, very arrogant and uh, I was even complacent in my walk with the Lord. I studied the Bible a lot. I had read for my age at the time. Uh, I had read a lot of Christian books. And uh, I had acquired a little knowledge, a little knowledge. And the greatest danger in spiritual adolescence is to have a little knowledge and not know that it is a little knowledge. And that was my case. You know, the Apostle Paul reminds us that knowledge puffs up. I became puffed up. I was a fan of knowledge. I still am. Fortunately, God has uh, taught me a few lessons since then, lessons in humility, and it began back then. The Lord showed me the folly of my arrogance and my, you know, my puffed upness. <laughs> he brought me back to the book of Genesis, to the book of beginnings, to the book of our genes. That's where Genesis, gene, the word gene is in Genesis. He showed me a verse. Genesis, and I'm not going to share that. I'm not going to share the verse with you today uh, because I think it's irrelevant, but he he showed me a verse in that book that completely baffled me. And then God spoke to me. He spoke to my spirit. You see, you don't even understand the first book. So how can you pretend to understand the rest of the story? And I got to tell you, from that point on. God took me on one heck of a ride and I'm talking about a ride in knowledge, understanding, humility and basically showing me that ignorance is like knowledge. It has no limit and uh, I just began realizing at that point how ignorant I was and therefore that I should never become puffed up and rather that I should be a humble student at the feet of the Lord and be grateful for everything that I do learn, but always be a seeker and never someone who thinks they have attained some level of whatever. And my wife, Liz, you remember that. I mean, you remember that time uh, we were early married, uh, maybe second year marriage or so. And uh, I'd begun I'd begun, you know, digging down the rabbit hole and finding out stuff and... Like I said, becoming puffed up. And God actually used her at the time. I didn't listen to her because I was arrogant, like I said. But he had used her initially to, heed, to give me warnings. She was telling me, you're becoming arrogant. I don't like what you're saying. I don't like your tone. I she was giving me hints of stuff she was seeing. And it took the voice of the Lord to actually turn me back from my, my error. But you remember those days, Liz. You can tell them about it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I think, you know, when exactly when you dig deeper and um, depending on the kind of books you read and uh, different things that you study, sometimes you can, I guess, take for granted certain things that you do learn in church. And uh, I think that you had, you know, come to a place where um, you knew more than the pastor, in front, and therefore he wasn't going to teach you much of anything, and uh, you were basically just at church for social, right? Because you were doing your own studies on your own. So it, it was that kind of... But that of, was not the pastor's kind of, of, fault.
0: He was a good person.
1: Yeah, so that was the kind of the mindset. Um, and, and that's not good to be that way because, you know, the Lord can still use, even if we, we are very knowledgeable and study a lot, um, he can use through the Holy Spirit all kinds of different messages through uh, the pastor in front to touch our hearts, or to sometimes God will just speak to our spirit or or tell us something um, through the person that's speaking in front. Um, it could be a, a clue or something that we've been wondering, yeah. and then we get a revelation, right? So, so I think that's that's where you had to you know kind of rewind a little and realized that by by going back to scripture more and uh, understanding that you didn't, like God was revealing things at one point that were uh, very interesting and you were so excited about these teachings that even at that time you kind of went like, well, it's kind of boring when I do go to church because I'm not learning stuff that's as interesting, right? Yeah. So I think we have to find a middle ground and you know it's important to go to church but it's also important to do your own digging like Sebastian was saying and to dig deeper and to do your own studies and in God's word and to learn more and uh, and to be humble about it because when you start learning and that's one of the realizations (laughs) that you know I've always found them very knowledgeable but at one point I remember him saying like wow I realize I really know nothing. <laughs> like God is showing me, I know nothing. Well, that was good. That
0: was all good because, it, it, I mean, from that point on, there's nothing like a spanking from the Lord to set things straight. Okay, and at that time, that's what I got. I got a spanking from the Lord when when he, he said, "Well, it's time for me to intervene. I'm going to show him he knows nothing," and he took the first book. He says, "See, you don't even get the first
1: book." Yeah, and I think at, at that right before that happened. You were kind of at this place where I've read it, I know it all, and yeah, it I, I'm spot. not learning anything anymore. And and God was, you know, working through you. And a lot of things in our life happened. Uh, we had lost our daughter as well, so it was just like a tsunami in our personal lives as well. So God used that. Uh, w- God used what happened to bring Sebastian and I uh, closer together and closer to Him and to seek the truth in all things like we were talking about that prayer in the beginning so we did pray that prayer and then that's when God started opening our eyes together because it was a journey we we both took together yeah and um, God spoke to my heart and and then we just grew together so you know so you have to be open to learn new things like Sebastian was saying not just to listen to us but to dig and to, to go back and check and read your Bible and learn more about it.
0: Absolutely. All this to say, uh, after that scolding from the Lord, or that spanking, if you will, uh, I became a real student uh, of Genesis for years, and I still, today's day, I mean, I have so much to learn, especially in the first few chapters. <laughs> There's so much incredible meat. I, I tell the friends, uh, sometimes I talk to my friends, and I say, look. There's as much to learn from the first few chapters of Genesis as there is in Revelation. I mean, if you, if you delve deep in those first three chapters, you just realize that we're just getting a very boiled down um, account from Moses in the first three chapters. Uh, it's like because I think when he wrote it at the time, people kind of knew this stuff. So he wasn't ex- going to expand too much. Into the whole, you know, creation account, and everything, because it was they were closer to it than we are today. So it was still, I guess, kind of fresh for them, a bit more fresh, fresher than for us, for sure. So there wasn't too much time spent in that. But man, those first three chapters are a whopper. It's crazy. But anyway, all this to say, this is where we're gonna start in Genesis. So let's dig deeper. When God created the earth realm and man, he had a very special mandate for him. You see, the earth realm was a very special realm in God's creation. It was to be a realm filled with carbon-based beings, also known as flesh beings or or alive beings, beings with bodies. And those bodies would be different from those found in heaven's realm, which is more of a spiritual, uh, different resurrection or spiritual bodies. This earth realm was made for a specific type of creation and specific types of beings. So it was the realm of organic bodies. Notice how the plants, the trees, the birds, the fish, all the animals and man all have organic bodies. So the earth realm is specifically designed to harbor and benefit beings who are alive and organic so this was a first in god's creation this was something very special when he created that it was very special and this is also very important to note and we'll see that we'll see why that is later so man was appointed a very specific status in this new realm called the earth realm In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, we read the following Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The two most important words in this whole passage. Are found when God blesses mankind in the person of Adam and Eve and he says to them have dominion so he blesses them have dominion when we bless something we set it apart it's kind of a way of sanctifying it or you know setting it apart so when he said that to man it was extremely important in order to understand what this means exactly we need a definition of the word dominion. The dictionary tells us that dominion means it's a noun and it means sovereignty or control. And it's interesting when you draw a list of synonyms of the word dominion, here's what you get. Supremacy, ascendancy, dominance, domination, superiority, predominance, Preeminence, primacy, hegemony, authority, mastery, control, command, direction, power, sway, rule, government, jurisdiction, sovereignty, lordship. Now, these are powerful words. These imply that man was to rule this realm, okay? So, when God gave man dominion, He made mankind ruler over this earth realm, this domain, which is where we get the word dominion from. So, the earth realm was a domain, and He appointed man as ruler over this domain, hence where we get the word dominion. Notice also, whether it is used as a prefix or suffix, the word dom, just D-O-M, means to rule, okay? So, it gives a better understanding to words like kingdom. Kingdom means where a king rules. Freedom, where the free rule. Those are just examples. So, God assigned man the rulership of this place called earth. And to all the beings he created and placed on it, man was to rule it all. The birds, the fish, the plants, the trees, and all the animals and the territory itself was put under the dominion of man.
1: Yeah, that's really, really fascinating and interesting, um, the way that uh, we understand the word dominion, what it, what it really means, because it's true that when we read the Bible in Genesis in the beginning, we uh, really kind of skim through it and don't understand it fully, what the all these... Um, this understanding means for Adam and Eve in the beginning right Mm. so in Genesis uh, chapter 2 19 to 20 we read the following now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called every living creature that was its name The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. That's in Genesis chapter 2, 19 to 20. So it's very interesting to note the following principle. Whatever we name, we have authority over. So we name our children, right? So we're responsible. We have authority over our children. We name our children. We name our businesses. And yes, we named all the plants, trees, and animals, right? So the earth and everything on it was given over to man for him to exercise his authority.
0: Now, that's a really, really important principle and a good point. Everything we name, we have authority over. It's fascinating, really. And just a quick parenthesis, Eve got her name from Adam. Just saying. I don't want to start a war here. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's in the Bible, so don't shoot the messenger. Anyway, I'm joking here. but um, And the Bible says in Psalm, this is a very important verse for you to jot down. The Bible says in Psalm 115, verse 16, The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. Eugene Peterson's message, the message, translates it this way. The heaven of heavens is for God, but he put us in charge of the earth. That's a powerful statement. That's in the Psalms. I don't think I've ever heard a, 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 a sermon preached on that in church, ever. But we do we understand how profound this is? Anyway, I find it interesting to note that God appointing man a dominion mandate makes us, this this principle makes us understand better, I should say, God's second commandment. You know the Ten Commandments? There's ten. Well, the second one is about not making a graven image, okay? Now, it's very interesting because here's the whole commandment, how we read it in Exodus 20. Here's how we read it.
1: Amen.
0: I think this is super, super interesting because it makes us understand that God, of course, wants to be the sole object of our worship. That's the first thing we need to understand from this second commandment. And we're not to worship angels who are in heavens above and all that and and these other created beings that are very powerful, but also creatures in the earth realm that we're not to create images remember when the Israelites made that golden calf (laughs) how that got God so angry but here's what's so insulting to God in this let's say let's take the golden golden calf, calf for example think about it God gave us dominion over everything on the earth so when we take the image of an animal that we rule over and make it into, carved into a statue, and we prostrate ourselves before that. That's a slap in the face. That's like us taking our dominion and throwing it in the trash. When we make ourselves graven images, we elevate what we should dominate. It severely demeans our status as rulers. Now, at this point, I feel it's necessary for me to address the subject of the sovereignty of God. If you've been in church long enough, like I have, no doubt that you have heard how God rules over everything, right? It's a main doctrine. It's the doctrine of the omnipotence of God. Omnipotence meaning that God can do all things. Obviously, no one can dispute the sovereignty of God. He is the creator of all. He is the ruler of all, okay? So, how can we reconcile man's rulership of the earth realm with the sovereignty of God Almighty? That's a very good question. Have you ever been asked the childish question, if God is all-powerful, can He create a rock that even He wouldn't be able to move? That's a a good question, right? (laughs) But I actually have the answer to that cryptic question. The answer is yes and He already has. What's that rock that God can't move? Well, the rock that God cannot move is His own Word. I find it interesting that His Ten Commandments were graven upon stone tablets. You know? It's very interesting. You see, the only one who can dispute the sovereignty of God is God Himself. No one else can do that. And the Bible says this concerning God's authoritative word. In Psalm 119, verse 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. And in Numbers, chapter 23, verses uh, 19 and 20, we read these words. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change change his mind. Has he said, and he will not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot revoke it. So, in that passage, Balaam says, He has blessed, speaking of God, and I cannot revoke it. God's word is irrevocable, and his blessing seals the deal okay God's blessing seals the deal there's other passages I could point out there's one in Matthew uh, chapter 5 verses 17 to 19 where Jesus says do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets I've not come to abolish them but to fulfill them for truly I tell you until heaven and earth disappear not the smallest letter not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished so again the that those those scriptures that word cannot be broken okay now remember back in Genesis 128 do you remember what was said we read it earlier he blessed them he blessed them and said let them have dominion so here's the very important thing that you need to understand about God's sovereignty and jot that down make sure you get that because this is huge God is as sovereign as his word. Let me repeat that for you because this is a whopper that can really put some damage or a dent into our theological understanding. Okay? God is as sovereign as his word. What does this mean? Simply this. God is bound by His own Word because He is perfect. I'm going to explain this to you. So God is bound by His own Word because He is perfect. God is so good, so just, so holy, and so perfect that He cannot break His Word. You've probably heard sayings such as, my word is my bond. Uh, when you're talking with someone and, and you, you don't have a a contract or a deal on paper, and the, the the other person wants to make you feel better about the 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 the, uh, the agreement you reached and the the handshake you had, the person is going to say, "My word is my bond. Don't worry about it. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I said." Or you maybe have heard the other saying that says, "A man is only as good as as his word." Yeah. A man is only as good as his word. Well, if this applies to a man, these apply even more so to God. He's God. Imagine if God lied. We'd be in a heap of trouble. I mean, seriously, we, 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 we'd we be scared to lose our salvation. We, we'd be scared he'd change his mind. We'd be scared there was a lie, what he said before. So, God is holy. And as such, he cannot break his word. His word and his blessing are un breakable. And here's what you need to understand next. When God gave man dominion on the earth and he blessed them in the process, it was irrevocable. Do you remember back in the story how Jacob stole Esau's blessing from Isaac? Not only did he steal his birthright with a bowl of uh, stew, okay? But later on, he, he also stole the father, Isaac. He had a, a special blessing for Esau, and Jacob stole that as well. It's a fascinating account. It's in Genesis 27, verses 30 to 37. And when Esau found out, he went and he pleaded with Isaac, his father. But we're, I'm going to read to you this account because it's, it really reinforces what I'm teaching here, okay? Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father. So, so Isaac had blessed Jacob because uh, Jacob fooled him. He put some uh, fake fur, fur. Of it, fur <laughs> on his arms to, look more, to appear more hairy, and then Isaac was almost blind or practically blind anyway. So then Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also had made savory food because, you know, Jacob earlier had made a a nice bowl of stew to get the blessing and all that. It was very tricky, like very tricky. (laughs) So Esau also has made some savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. So he's awaiting his paternal blessing that's going to determine in large part the course of his life. And his father, Isaac, said to him, Who are you? Can you imagine the old man going like, What? (laughs) Who are you? So he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. And then, this is really interesting, verse 33, Then Isaac trembled exceedingly. You know when you realize that you've just been had, you're like, Oh, I'm in trouble now. (laughs) So imagine Isaac, poor old man, he trembled exceedingly. And he said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him. And indeed, he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit. And has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob, which means, I think, supplanter, if I'm not uh, mistaken, for he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do for you now, my son? In other words, I don't have much left to give you, because I gave him an exceedingly great blessing. Now, if the words and blessings of Isaac were unbreakable, how much more the words and blessings of God when He said, I give you dominion. Have dominion. So now, where we're at in this teaching, man is officially in charge. So what did this imply when man fell? And that's what we're going to talk about the next time we continue this teaching on the kingdom of God because right now we're just ex- <laughs> We're just laying the the, the ground uh, um, You know try to establish a foundation for you to understand this very important kingdom doctrine So now we've laid the ground uh, We've explained this uh, dominion aspect. So now we know we understand scripturally that man was given dominion on the earth So what did it imply? When man fell, when man was deceived, man and woman were deceived by the devil.
1: A lot. A, a lot. lot. <laughs>
0: a lot. And
1: that's why we're going to do a, a set, another teaching. We're going to continue on this topic because it's really important for you to understand how much Adam and Eve lost. And it's going to be very, very and inter- later.
0: And later on, we'll just see how much jesus christ gave us back
1: exactly so for you to understand that part you need to understand what he lost Mm. which isn't really taught to us so you're going to really find this interesting so thank you for listening to this uh episode share it with those that you love those that you know it will encourage that are trying to find their purpose and trying to understand um the reason for being on this earth as entrepreneurs and as christians So we hope you enjoyed it. You can go to thrivingonpurposepodcast.com. There's other podcasts there. You can also sign up to get uh, our weekly podcast sent to you in your inbox so you don't miss an episode. So be blessed.
0: And thrive on. Thanks for listening to the Thriving On Purpose podcast. Be sure to visit thrivingonpurpose.com to access the show notes and to discover more fantastic content. Until next time,
1: be blessed and may you thrive on purpose.